Why is this year different from all other years? The coronavirus. While you may not be able to physically gather around the Seder table this Passover, at least you won't have to scramble for a Haggadah. The Wandering is Over Haggadah from JewishBoston.com is available now as a free download, whether you're celebrating virtually with family or planning a Seder for one. Our Haggadah is available in two formats, a colorful PDF and a printer-friendly Word document that you can easily customize. Next year, in person. Until then, visit JewishBoston.com slash Haggadah. Shalom and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm Miriam Anzavin, and joining me on this episode are Dan Seligson. Oh, hi, Miriam. And Ashley Jacobs. Hey. Our guest today is the host of Pod for Good, a podcast for people who want to do good in the world, the CEO of Rant9 Productions and our beloved editor, Jesse Ulrich. Good day. And you know when the four of us get together on the Vibe of the Tribe, we're going to be talking about a movie. We sure are. You know, a few years ago, we watched the 1956 film, The Ten Commandments. This year, we're taking on the 1998 animated musical, The Prince of Egypt. This DreamWorks movie is an adaptation of the book of Exodus, Shemot, from the Torah, and follows the life of Moses from being a prince of Egypt. You got that? to his ultimate destiny to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. It also stars pretty much a who's who of Hollywood 90s A-listers. The voice cast is mostly amazing, with Ray Fiennes as Pharaoh Ramses, Michelle Pfeiffer as Zipporah, Sandra Bullock as Miriam, Jeff Goldblum as pretty much himself but really Aaron, Danny Glover as Yitro, Captain Picard, I mean Patrick Stewart as Pharaoh Seti, and Steve Martin and Martin Short as two Egyptian advisors. And one of my personal heroes, the iconic, late, great Yemenite Israeli singer Ofer Chaza, voices Yocheved. She recorded the opening song, Deliver Us, in 18 languages for each dubbed version of this film. And lastly, Moses and God are both played by Val Kilmer, and we will have more to say about that in just a moment. But first, let's travel back in time a little bit. This movie came out in 1998 when I was 13. And for me, it was my first time watching this movie since then. What do you remember about the first time you saw it? Dan? Well, I got to say I was not 13 the first time I saw this. What stands out now and did then is the art. Also, how much more tolerable and enjoyable it is than most other Passover movies or Passover-themed TV episodes. I was seven when it came out, and it was also around when Rugrats Passover came out. So a Maccababy's got to do what a Maccababy's got to do. But in terms of this particular film, The Prince of Egypt, it made me really nostalgic for the house I grew up in. Every year I would watch The Ten Commandments with my family, and then we would also add this to the repertoire. So it just made me really nostalgic and homesick because I haven't seen my family in over a year. <laughs> But the things that really uh, stuck with me since watching the film was the song, There Can Be Miracles. Even before we rewatched this film for this episode, I would get it stuck in my head randomly. Super strange. But the angel of death moment, that animation uh, also stuck with me throughout. I, I don't know why. It was just really cool, even though it was something so terrible. Jesse, how about you? So I was younger than Dan, but older than the two of you when this movie came out. And honestly, I have no memory if I saw it in the movie theaters or not. I know that during my life of getting a, a bachelor's and master's degree in history and then Judaic studies, I've watched this movie many times, occasionally on assignment for Jewish Boston, comparing it to other Exodus films. And the thing I remember the most about it was it was the first time for me, at least, that it talked about these sort of brotherly relationship that Ramses and Moses would have had developed had they grown up together. And that always intrigued me because that was part of the story that is not part of the 50s version or even in the reading of it, it does not come up that much. Also, right now, my cat is on my desk messing things up. So this is going to be fun. They were prevalent in ancient Egypt. So they I were. That, it makes this episode more authentic. Yeah. I appreciate that the characters were brown and not white. 
which is not something oh, yes. I appreciated in the 90s as much as I do now. And it's really amazing how like Miriam is the, the character Miriam and our host Miriam is always right and no one ever listens to her and she's the true <laughs> hero of the story. <laughs> And we're going to talk about that more because they downplayed her heroism from the Torah. We will get into that. But yeah, I remember being thrilled that Miriam was played by Sandra Bullock because at the time I was obsessed with the movie Speed. Yeah, I haven't seen that in forever. Wow, that's a flashback I need to revisit. So I was super like excited about that. But I remember thinking, wow, I really wish someone would invent stadium seating already because I can't see over this man's head. So now I have a better view. Yeah, I was going to say it was Dan. <laughs> no, it wasn't me. Whoever that man was sitting in front of me at that time, I resent you. So now that we're all grown adults, sort of, did this movie hit different? Dan, did it hit different? Uh, well, as I said before, I'm the only person on the episode who was a full-grown adult when this came out. And what stood out for me were the operatic opening sequences. This movie made it clear that when you're telling the Torah's greatest epic, you do not go small. This is not a kid's movie. Kids will watch it if you have it on in the room or bring them to the theater. My kids did, but they won't ask to see it again. And when I mentioned to them that I was rewatching it this year after a two-year hiatus, they both said, why? The music, with few exceptions, Ashley has one of them, is not the stuff of sing-alongs. There's virtually no comic relief. There's no cute talking animals. They could have done something Sven-like with the camels, but they didn't do that. It's dark. There's human suffering. There's death, which is just like the source material. And it's close to two hours. It is not talking down to its audience, and it's not giving the audience any break from the unrelenting action, depravity, pain, suffering, so forth. This is a Passover film for grown people who happen to bring kids with them, that also happens to be animated. Yes, the reality of this is, and I think I may have made this similar point when we did the Ten Commandments film, you can't make an authentic kids movie about the Exodus story. It's like making a kids movie out of Game of Thrones. And yes, there will be many further Game of Thrones analogies in this episode. Don't at me unless you agree with me. So yes, the thing that really stood out to me when watching this again was that gross, horrifying, unnecessary sexual exploitation of Zipporah, which is somehow played for laughs as a joke. And that was the thing that I was like, holy guacamole, I did not remember this. I blanked this out. Why did they include it? It's not funny. Ashley, what was your take? I would have to disagree with Dan about the animal piece because there was a really funny moment. I noticed that when Moses was dragged by the camel and on the well, he's drinking all this water like he hasn't had any in days, which he probably hasn't. But there's a sheep like the sheep are also drinking from this basin thing. And then he looks up and makes eye contact with the sheep and the sheep just makes like the goofiest face of surprise and shock. So that was just a really cute moment of like animal. All right, but it, it wasn't Ice Age. They weren't talking. It, they weren't standing up. From what I remember, animated films back then would include moments like that. Just like a little goofy, a little extra something if you were paying a little bit of attention to it. I did feel when I watched this again, I was like, whoa, that is the exact scene from The Force Awakens when <laughs> Finn is drinking out of the out of the trough of water and there's a alien animal and they both look up and make eye contact. That's that's I wonder if they got it from. This. I have I have multiple problems with that whole sequence. One, whose camel is that? Just randomly going through the desert by itself. Probably stole it. I do want to, like, there is something about Jurassic Park here, and that is the amazing, gorgeous Jeffrey Goldblum. I mean, hello. Yes. I, I love him. Everyone loves him. When I was younger, I, I probably didn't recognize anyone's voice, but rewatching it, I could clearly hear Sandra Bullock, and I could clearly hear Jeff Goldblum, and it just, like, made my life. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think they should. I did not realize until he started talking. I was like, what? That is Jeff Goldblum. Amazing. You know, so Miriam, you brought up Star Wars. And the second viewing, I kept thinking, I, I have a child named Elsa. She was named Elsa years before the movie came out. There were some parallels with Frozen. There are two siblings who are having this dramatic split as the world burns, or in Frozen's case, freezes. And they, in this movie, they don't come around to mending fences. Passover stories usually focus on the plagues, the wandering, Moses's relationship with God. This was about Moses and Ramses. Their relationship was central. And we probably should have known that from the title. 
if I'm being honest. I just want to get back to the animation and artistic direction because they are so stunning. And it's not just the sweeping views of ancient Egypt and how the characters are animated. It's these incredible details. It's these scenes where Moses would enter the Pharaoh's court and in the distance are these fan dancers and this beautiful red color and motion that's really pretty far away from the main portion of what's going on in the film. There's such incredible pride in the art from the animators. And all right, we're about to argue about this, I think. Say it. Just say it, Dan. I'm going to say it. Something you don't get from most computer-generated films and computer-generated yes. animation, hand-drawn animation over everything, more heart, more art, that rhymes, it's truth. Uh, Dan, I am one. I am with you 100%. 100%. I wish people I could see the Z-snap going on above you, though. I Listen, in this, in this case, Miriam's right. family of animators. And I, Dan, I, Dan, I will fight you in the parking lot once it is safe after the pandemic to fight in a parking well, yeah, lot again. We're socially distant. We can have a socially I, distant fight. Yeah, I like defy you <laughs> on this. Jesse, let's yes. get your thoughts. My thoughts on the movie as an adult now? Yeah, how it hits different. One, like, I, it hits different because I'm older now and somehow less cynical than I was when I first watched it. And so... Is the that possible? The, yeah. People do reverse cynical? You get close to 40 and you start crying randomly for no reason. Oh, jeez. Close to 40 must yeah. be nice. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Listen, Grandpa, calm down. Um, <laughs> I could be one, honestly. Go ahead. The ridiculous parts of the story, the one that, that, that they change or they do to make the plot more convenient are even more annoying. But the emotional parts, like Moses' guilt at, say, hurting innocent Egyptians, right, hits differently now than it did before, where I was just like, yeah, those people have to suffer right? The reminder that, again, Moses, not a great husband, like, again, hits harder now. Now that you are yourself a husband. Yes. Yeah. I'll, and, and just like, a, I would say a better judge of how complicated Jewish heroes are and how not just good, perfect versions of light that, I mean, and I knew this growing up too, but even now, like their flaws are even more forefront in, in my eyes, considering, say, the issues we as a country have been going through via our own leaders and their faults. And again, DreamWorks, sweet DreamWorks, like that opening song, not great. It's very much the We Are Cutting Ice of Frozen, which is a song everyone skips. Like, I've never actually even heard that song because we were late for the movie the one time we saw it. On my Other than the Miracle song, almost all the other ones are almost great. They almost hit a moment. And then even the Michal Mocha part, which was like, it was so good. And then, I don't know, it like made a weird turn. And I was like, well, now I don't know what's, what's happening in the song now. <laughs> it amazes me that it was made when it was made. And the fact that it hasn't, like there hasn't been another big production from like a major company doing this and doing an animated version of this. There's been animated ones, which I've watched and reviewed. You can read on jewishboston.com. I'm not going to talk about it. I never want to talk about it again. But the fact that I could recognize every single person's voice was a little off-putting because I'm like, Val Kilmer and Michelle Pfeiffer are not even close to the same age. And it's weird. Good point. Uh, good point. Very good point. I just couldn't take Aaron seriously because it's Jeff Goldblum and I, you don't take him seriously in roles now. Right. Um, That's and, the intention. That's yeah, his whole shtick. We didn't see because you didn't wish to see. Ah, well, that makes everything fine then, doesn't it? And I instantly became an Egyptian when I heard uh, Patrick Stewart's voice. So I was like, right? yeah, whatever he says, it's complicated. <laughs> I, I do want to segue to talking about Val Kilmer. As mentioned earlier, he blandly voiced both Moses and God. He's not a good Moses, but he's especially not a good voice of God. He sounds like a vanilla wafer on ketamine, like a room temperature glass of unsweetened almond milk. Take the sandals from your feet. For the place on which you stand is holy ground. When you guys think of the voice of God, what does it sound like to you? Dan, who do you hear? Well, this is an easy one for me, actually. Metallica did the greatest Passover song ever. And when I think about the voice of God in Passover, I go straight to James Hetfield. 
But I do want to digress and talk about various actors over the years who have voiced or acted in the role of God. George Burns, Alanis Morissette, Will I Am, Charlton Heston, Steve Buscemi, Whoopi Goldberg, Kevin Smith, Seth MacFarlane, Morgan Freeman, of course. And this is a list from EW.com, Entertainment Weekly. Val Kilmer did not make the list. So perhaps he gets exactly as much credit as he deserves. Which is zero. Will I Am is on it, and Val Kilmer <laughs> is not. <laughs> Will I Am, really? Yep. Listen, I All can't right. pull this out of my, my own. That's self. crazy. But okay, so technically, Alanis Morissette didn't voice voice God, but I think that she was the best portrayal of God by far. In terms of like when I think of the voice of God, who I hear Charlton Heston as the burning bush in the OG film, like definitely comes in second behind Alanis Morissette. Sorry, Morgan Freeman. But I also read on IMDb that the entire Prince of Egypt cast read for God. But in listening back to it, the directors and producers or whoever wanted a more dominant voice. So they made Val Kilmer stand out more. There are conflicting reports that you can still hear the other voices beneath his. I like that idea in theory, even though it's not aggressive slash dominant. It speaks to the more like the present nature of what God is supposed to be. I think that would make God very creepy sounding like in The Exorcist when you know <laughs> Linda Blair is suddenly speaking as like 10 people, we are Legion or I am no one. And it came out as like all these people talking and that that God would creep me out. There, there are some aspects of the God of the Exodus story that creep me out as well. Well, then let's introduce ourselves. I'm Damien Karras. And I'm the devil. Now kindly undo these straps. Elijah the prophet, Eliyahu Hanavi, who, side note, I think of as Passover Gandalf. Thank you, Jesse, for nodding. You get what I'm saying here. So he described hearing God as a still small voice. So for me, the most authentic take on God's voice would be if Taika Waititi uh, voiced God as a soft-spoken New Zealander like he did for Korg and Thor Ragnarok. That is what I'm, I'm like, yes, I would love if he was doing the like, death of the firstborn, but he was saying it in this really soft-spoken New Zealand accent. Hey, 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 take it easy, man. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Korg. I'm kind of like the leader in here. Over here, a pile of rocks waving at you. Here. Yeah, I'm actually a thing. I'm a being. So speaking of creepy, I have to remind again our listeners that one of the Exodus films I reviewed many years ago was the Christian Bale Exodus Gods and Kings <laughs> film, which I liked more than most people, I think because I read all of the reviews slamming it before seeing it. But the thing I enjoyed the most was the very sort of bizarre, creepy Moses meeting God scene where God is played by a small child. And I, I honestly don't even remember what the voice sounds like. I just remember the weirdness of God being a small child and the the unsettling nature of that. And and speaking of Val Kilmer's lack of weird like stage presence, even though like he's great in other things. He is great in other things. It's just not this. I must mention that I'm pretty sure I reviewed this one too. There is a Ten Commandments musical starring Val Kilmer that you can see the sort of stage film of, the stage filming of. And it, you can look it up on the internet. We'll put a link to it uh, in the show notes, perhaps. But it's not, it's not great. Like, you think these songs are bad? Just check out the Ten Commandments musical. And I proved you DreamWorks did a better job. Uh, so you're uh, telling me yes. they made a stage production of this movie? No, it is a, a musical production of the, the Ten Commandments story separate from this movie. Oh, wait, yes. what? Yes, it is a, it's called The Ten Commandments, the musical. This musical is adapted from a French musical called Les Dix Commandments. It Les was done. I could hear you speak French yeah. all day, Jesse. <laughs> Les Dix Commandments. It was put on in 2004. And the only reason it exists is because after Adam Lambert was on American Idol, his agents wanted to like cash in on that. So they got the rights to release the one camera this film. this was their choice? Yeah. Listen, I will say. He has the most charisma of anyone on stage. So he, uh, he, oh, he crushes This is Joshua, not a very good performance. It. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's Adam Lambert. Of course he is. Yeah. Right. No, I'm not questioning his talent. I'm questioning why this project. Yeah. Well, it was because he filmed it before he was, he was big. Like it was like his, one of his first breaks. This was trying to build off of whatever attention he got post American Idol. So, but like, it's funny seeing Joshua in like 
dark eye makeup and Adam Lambert style. So it was enjoyable. I made a drinking game out of it, as I do out of most films. Uh, so if you Yo, are they leave, into that, you know, knock yourself They out. leave Joshua completely out of this movie. Yeah, um, where's Joshua? Yeah. So, so a little later, we're going to actually do a deep dive into everything that is hilariously wrong with this movie. Where is Dathan? Uh, right. Where's, the, where's your God <laughs> right. now, eh, guy? Right. Yeah, where's he? Right. Right, how it deviated from the source material. But let's give some credit where credit is due. There are some good things about this film. As you mentioned, the incredibly stunning visuals. I did really love the sequence that is in hieroglyphics where Moses is figuring out what really yes. happened and he comes to understand how uh, Seti killed the Hebrew children. And then that mural and that sequence is then called back to later, right before the death of the firstborn, when Ramsey's son is standing against the mural and he's flanked on either side Whoa. by the two crocodiles from the rescuers. <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Is it foreshadowing I, if it happens right afterwards? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then this I also... I right. It's just <laughs> shadowing. I do remember this from when I saw it in the theater. I loved that image of when they're walking through the Dead Sea or the Sea of Reeds, and there is the silhouette of the whale, and the there's a lightning crack, and then the the silhouette of the whale was absolutely beautiful. And I did like how in this movie they made Ramses understandable and likable, and you feel for him, and you don't get that when you read the Torah at all, for reasons we will discuss later. But maybe I just love Ray Fines. Maybe it's because I'm a Slytherin. Ashley, what do you think worked well about this movie? Well, one thing that did not work well, speaking of Slytherin, was the snake scene. It was more terrifying now than it was when I was younger. I think my phobia has only worsened with age. We've discussed this several times on the podcast, but it, it wasn't that awful. I mean, I still had to block the screen with my phone, but the fear dissipated eventually. The music, I thought, was wonderful. To Dan's point, I thought that the attention to detail and the settings were just unbelievable we had like gossamer fabrics that did not look disgusting like they did in the ten commandments it was not polyester I, this time i know like the outfits weren't tacky there was still muscle definition like i i really loved the bond between ramses and moses here i think that is a really interesting point to explore just in the story of exodus in general and i think it is touched on a little bit in the ten commandments dan how about you i think you you've already said a few things that you really liked about this. Yeah, I, I like many, many things about this movie. I love the pacing. I love the way in which the angel of death was interpreted and the mm -hmm. sound effects of a children's last breath as they're, you know, as they're dying. Yes. It was chilling as hell and it was devastating to watch. And I think about the ways in which the plagues were shown in general. It just showed this great sensitivity to the fact that we should not rejoice in anyone else's pain, even if it's our most horrific enemy. We saw ordinary Egyptians suffering, same as the Pharaoh. We saw how Jews were terrified by what was going on around them. And I'm going to be honest, you know, snark and novel criticism is the lifeblood of the hot take industry. But aside from the deviation from the source text a little bit, I just don't have many bad things to say about this movie. It is in many ways an excellent, possibly the best Passover movie. I would like to found upon something that you said, Dan, because... We do see the Egyptian suffering and this one moment that did stick out with me for years and when I rewatched the film, I came back to was we do hear the Egyptian children's last breath, but we also see this boy carrying a jug of water into his home. Um, then the angel of death comes and we hear the clay shatter and then a second later that his hand falls and hits the stone oh, outside of his home. It's and so it's just, good. It's, it's so good. It's just like that kind of attention to detail that makes you feel badly for the situation. <sighs> then one thing that I meant to mention earlier, Miriam, was when you were talking about the Red Sea splitting is that like that whole like 10 minute sequence or however long that was actually took the crew two years to complete. Oh, that's not shocking. As I mentioned, from a family of animators, 
I'm shocked it took so brief a time. <laughs> that scene, if you're doing this story, that scene is your Helm's Deep. That is your Battle mm. of the Black Wire. That is what your oh, special effects wise, what your Jesse. movie is building towards. Right. Yeah. So it's got to be good. Like even though. Although, 19... Yeah. They left out some some pretty badass moments like the whole pillar of fire only shows up for like a hot second. But there's yeah. where's the pillar of cloud? There's there's things they could have made more epic. And they took him out. But, you know, I understand. I thought the fire tornado was pretty epic. Oh, it was epic. But it's there the whole time. It's not there just to be like, oh, wait, they're crossing. Hold on. Ah, okay. It's there the whole time. During night, they were led by the the column of fire. And uh, during the day, the the column of cloud. I have no Uh, idea what this is. I I would still like one of these movies to deal with the fact that that ground would be super muddy and hard to get through. Great point. But of course, it is magical. So it could have magically dried. That's true. But give me the magical explanation, right? God's doing all these things. Show God like drying out the ground. Right? <laughs> there with a hair dryer. Yeah. Show me something like the wind going through it. Like that's all I'm, that's all I'm asking. A shop right. vac. Right. Yeah. Front of them. The, the Dyson, the God's Dyson, you know, hair dryer. Right. <laughs> exactly. I- at least there are still the rocks and the boulders, you know, on the on the sea floor that causes a lot of issues like wagon wheels get stuck. And that's all true. Of yeah, that, like Ten so. Commandments didn't remember that there would actually be objects on the floor of yes. body nope. of water. Still, again, for the 50s, looks great. Yeah, right. <laughs> OK, so the Prince of Egypt was made with input from Christian, Jewish and Muslim scholars. And yet. What an amazing amount of creative license was used in this film. Sometimes it does work, and sometimes the choices made from Tori to screen are pretty funny. Um, So I'd like to take this opportunity to do one of my favorite things ever, and that's pick apart what's wrong with this film compared to what it says in the source material. Anyone who's ever listened to this podcast knows this is my favorite activity in life. This is how you make your money, Miriam. Go. Warm up. All right. Okay. So first, let's start at the beginning. The Exodus story is a direct continuation of what happens in Genesis, Bereshit, which provides the context of why the Hebrews are there in Egypt in the first place. And who they are. The Torah has a whole roll call where it goes through everyone who slept oh, down to it. Egypt. Right. It goes on forever. Most the whole New family Testament part of the Old Testament. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the whole the whole family of Israel who slept to Egypt to avoid a famine and they go to Egypt because Yosef, the brother they sold to slavery. Oh, he's there and he's got a great job. So they move there and the, the family divides into the 12 tribes and then they get enslaved because they had a zillion children and Pharaoh saw this as like, oh, this is an opportunity for cheap labor exploitation and also subduing this rebellion. But it's they came from the quote unquote promised land and they are seeking to return. They didn't just emerge in Egypt out of the dust. There is a a prequel to this. So the treatment for me of the female characters, including Miriam, my namesake, is very weird. Justice for Miriam. Right. Justice for Miriam. The things that they actually do in the Torah are cut in lieu of musical montages. Men get to do what they need. But, you know, we cut the women's stuff because bleh, they just get a song. The, so the the, yeah. the the Moses marrying Sephora, like falling in love with Sephora montage lasts 15 seconds. It goes straight from. And it's still too long. Yeah. <laughs> but like. Usually montages show them like looking googly at each other, but it goes straight from the dinner thing you know, around the, where they're all sitting around a circle to wedding. And yeah. I'm just like, she seemed a more independent character who has her own thoughts and feelings about things. They, they could and have they had a love her, as an open door. Yeah. She, they didn't give, give her like the 15 second scene of her like understanding Moses as a person. Yeah, time than, didn't really pass. Yeah. Yeah, time no, didn't they, pass. How, well, but, en- enough time passed because by the time Moses goes back to Egypt, you know, oh, no, no, no. A, like, a lot of time actually passed. Ah, yes. But in that montage, 15 seconds passed. Yeah. But a lot gets accomplished in those. I mean, like, yeah, I, 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 I thought it was great. Like, I thought the timing of, of that part was was fine. Just real quick, though, the there is a film that DreamWorks did called Joseph, King of Dreams that came out in the year 2000. It was designed as a companion piece to The Prince of Egypt. I had no idea that that film existed. Um, that no one else does either. Yeah, so I think I did. I haven't seen should, it, but I knew about it. <laughs> I, I, th- I think we should we should watch it because, Miriam, I think that will touch on what you had just said earlier about all of that. I think that, yes, that 
sets the stage for the Exodus story, but like in any Passover retelling, like that's not a part of it. Oh, contraire! Really? You yes. Know, it's, it's always there because, like, you have to explain why the Jews are there. Why? Like, why the are they there? there? When yeah. they're not from there. The very beginning of the story, it's like, and then a pharaoh came who forgot Joseph's name. It's my dad's favorite line, so I hear it all the time. Right? But is it is it like in pop culture? Is it in the Haggadah, or is that just like part of Torah? Because like it's I know in it's in the Haggadah. It is. I mean, it's in some Haggadahs. I imagine right. there are well, okay, that's, that that's, to be to be fair, we have to establish that there is not one definitive Haggadah. Yeah, except we're talking for about Jewish Jews Boston here, Haggadah, so. of course. So, um, yes. Okay, <laughs> interesting. So, let me put that just yeah. side note. I mean, because I mean, and for a story that you assume is going to be seen by people who are not Jewish, you have to give them context for why the Jews are, are there in slavery to begin with, because that's not where Jews normally live. Yes, right. In biblical That's stories. Fair. Right. This is the this is the origin myth of the Jewish yeah. people as a as a people, as a nation. Yes. Concept from Why didn't we yeah. get Jeff Glo- uh, Jeff Goldblum as Aaron telling us how Jews got to be there? That's the story. That's how I want to hear the story. It was truly a waste of Jeff uh, Goldblum. It really it really was. Yeah. Next. So, hold on. So, speaking of Aaron, and I think this ties back to this whole thing, Miriam, is that isn't Moses supposed to not be able to speak or something because he burned this his tongue? This is a midrash. On, oh, it, so it, it's not in the Torah? Because I no. thought that, okay. Because what I had heard was that Moses like burnt his tongue on like ash or something and then Aaron had to do all that speaking on a coal, for him. a piece of hot coal, right, Miriam? Hot coal. Yeah, that is yeah. the midrash. Everyone who listens Listen, to this podcast yeah. knows what I feel about that. Also, every, every, every Jewish Torah. person with a speech impediment knows that story. I can tell you right. that. So. Right, right. So but look, it would have given us more Jeff Goldblum, and that's never, ever, right. ever a bad thing. <laughs> Let's just talk a, a little bit more about some things that are weird. We never get to meet the brave female medical, Hebrew medical professionals who refuse to kill the baby boys. We don't get that. They're out of the story. And we also miss the whole thing where Miriam is very smart. And as we know, she she always knows what's correct to do. So what does she do in the movie? We see Moses drift in the basket and then just Batia reaches in. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter reaches in, picks him up and he's adopted. And Miriam's like, oh, till we meet again. But what really happened? Miriam just rolls up to Pharaoh's daughter and goes, oh, hey, look, you have a baby. That's so funny because I know a lady who would love to take care of this child for you. And it's Yecheved, his mom. Yeah. It's like, so it's essentially, like she just Yecheved had a baby. Hey, baby's gone now. Don't oh, worry about it. So what really happens? Moses is raised by Yocheved and Miriam. So they say they actually lived together until the child grew up. That's what it says in the Torah, until the child grew up. So obviously not in this version, because it means there would be no growing with Ramses and just some like stuff they get into. Oh, they've just grown up together. And this is their dynamic. Listen, white privilege hijinks is what they get right, into. Right. That's exactly right? what it is. <laughs> So we we nix, we nix the ingenuity of Miriam in solving this issue. Um, we don't get that at all. Instead, we get the gross Zipporah slave Leia sequence. Um, and again, so the Torah has no shocking reveal where Miriam's like, you're one of us. Moses, you must believe. That's enough. You were born of my mother, Yocheved. Stop it. You are our brother. Because he always knew. Yeah. He grew up with them. And or, or at not... least it's more believable to him that he's one of them, right? Right. Because he's hearing this from someone he he's already known knows. Yeah. There is no part in the tour where they're like, oh, hey, we got to tell you something. Doesn't happen. What, what, do, what do people tell him his whole life? Like, he, who he... knows that he is a, a Hebrew baby who should have been murdered, right? Does... Well, he does. Yes. But like, does, does the Pharaoh know that? Right. Or is it like doesn't he just told, say like... explicitly also what Pharaoh does or does not know about Moses's origin. Right. Um, it does not say it explicitly. But what about Ramses? Because wasn't I mean, at least in, like how old was Ramses when this happened? Yeah. What did Ramses know? Not when mentioned. did he know it? First yeah. of all, Ramses is not the name of the Pharaoh mentioned in the, That's in true. the Torah. And they yep. are not raised together. And he doesn't come into the story as the sort of um, antagonistic figure until Moses comes back out of the desert. So That's so interesting that yeah. Passover films talk about their brotherly relationship, yeah. which, you know, according to the Torah, didn't exist. But that's Ain't no thing. 
Yeah. And listen, in the 50s version, there is two hours cut out from the version on TV <laughs> of the two of them just doing political intrigue around that one woman whose name I can't remember because she's not a real character. Right. Oh, yeah. What, what is this? But yeah, the, yeah. What's the her Charlton face? Heston version. Yeah, what's her face? Like the, the oh, one who God. loves Moses, but also like ends up getting married to Ramses. Who was that? Oh, yes. She's yes, all like, yeah, like, oh, there's intrigue. <laughs> I'm just like, she's that's what the entire first half of the movie is. So two of the most egregious things. One of them is that there is no relationship with Ramses in the Torah. They are not bros and they certainly never reminisce about the good old days. Does this make for a great movie? No, that's why they changed it. And then you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, I feel this. Not from the text but really enjoyable on screen. It really is. Like, they're, they're dynamic because Moses is painted in Prince of Egypt as a prankster. Like, he's he's painted as... It's kind of an ass. Well, yeah. Frankly. Yes, but also, like, they have fun together and Moses gets Ramses in trouble a bunch, but it's all in good fun, you know, when they pour water on the two priests when Ramses is, like, late for this banquet thing honoring him and then he wait, what is he's like appointed the chief architect or something and then takes <laughs> this like giant ring off his finger and gives it to Moses and they hoist it in the air like it's the Lombardi trophy or something <laughs> but then like when Moses is in the desert and he's stripping himself of everything that shows he's a prince when he's you know just wandering he keeps the ring I on his did finger. wonder about that and, yeah and when he went back to Egypt I Honestly, like I noticed that he wasn't wearing the ring and I part of me like really wanted him to still be wearing that ring to honor that relationship that now it turns out maybe didn't exist. And, and when Moses kills the Egyptian, it's not an accident. It's not an oopsie whoopsie. He's like, I'm going to kill you. It's premeditated. He just doesn't want to get caught. He literally looks around. Is anybody here? No. Kills him. Also, in what what feudal monarchy? Is right. that murder? Is that murder right. not allowed in? I mean, come right. on. The only reason it's problematic yeah. is because he's a Hebrew. Yeah, it's not like problematic because at that point life was expendable. It's still expendable now, but like yeah. he wouldn't have cared. But it was the fact that they found out about it that it was like, oh, it's, I it's always go. the cover up that's worse than the crime. It's the right? cover up, and no crime was committed in my book. And I'll just that's true. state that. Yeah, okay. But bad guy died. Oh no. Let's talk a little bit about the burning bush sequence, which. We've talked a little bit about how it differs from other film versions of this, but it's a little weird. So in the Torah, God essentially says, Moses, why don't you tell Pharaoh you're going to take the Jews out on a three day weekend to worship me in the desert? This is just Burning Man. He doesn't say, let my people go. He's like, OK, so this is what you're going to Burning Man. Right. Jewish Burning Man. Ugh. And God has this all planned out already. He's he's just laying all the steps out in advance for Moses. He has played the Queen's uh, Gambit chess on the ceiling game. He knows what's going to happen. And he's just setting out the sequential the sequence of of events for Moses. And to demonstrate how he's going to escalate against the Egyptians, he demonstrates it to Moses by first saying, okay, Moses, I'm going to turn your staff into a snake. Oh my God, it's a snake. Sorry, Ashley. And then he's like, here, I'm going to give you eczema for five minutes. Have some eczema. And he takes away it again. So he knows they're not going to be impressed by a Nile full of blood. So he has to move to frogs and then to lice and then just continue until he's killed all the firstborn. But Moses is still freaked out about public speaking and God doesn't have time for this, even though he waited 450 years to rescue them. But whatever. Um, and he says, don't worry about it. Aaron's going to do the talking for you. But they cut that out of the movie because then Aaron can't be the person who doesn't believe in Moses, but then demonstrates how he's changed by walking into the into the water first at the splitting of the sea. Yes, that's right. And then they share a good moment where Jeff Goldblum like grins and then they, you know. Right. But through all the stuff that happened. I feel right. like you guys yeah. weren't even seeing an animated character anymore. You were actually seeing Jeff Goldblum it, on your screen. I mean, wait, it was Jeff Goldblum. It was it him, was. right? It, it was it not was an him. animated. That, I assume okay. it's his true form. Yeah, it, it wasn't not. I mean, I think everyone, when they hear Jeff Goldblum, pictures him in that scene in Jurassic Park where he's just like lounging with the black shirt. Just I used to was, picture that, but now I do picture him from Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, me too. Then there's, in the movie, Sephora uh, goes with Moses to Egypt and they're just like, she's a good supportive wife. This does not happen. This is not a movie about a supportive husband-wife duo. This is, they they bring Sephora and, by the way, 
The kids that got left out, Moses's children, are nowhere to be seen. In the desert, they stop and then God like almost kills them because the kids aren't circumcised. And then they edited that right out because it really is weird, weirdly placed in the story and what? would not make sense. It's yes. really dark. So it's, really, it's dark. really dark. So they edited that out. But Zipporah is not there with him the entire time. She goes back to Midian. Sorry, Zipporah. You made it into this movie despite not being there. In the text. <laughs> Listen, so the, like, yeah, like Lord of the Rings, you have to, weirdly, this movie gives more, ro- more time, screen time to female characters, but doesn't do them any benefit. You gotta, you know, cut Glorfindel so that Arwen can be there at yeah. the Fort of Bruin Inn. I know. Listen, hashtag never forget. Hashtag Glorfindel, Glorfindel. forever. If you want him, come and claim him. Lastly, the biggest difference and kind of the most important difference between uh, text and screen is where they end this story. It ends on such a hopeful note. Moses comes down Mount Sinai and he's got the Ten Commandments and he's about to give them to the Hebrews. Amazing, uplifting ending. Wow. But does not end that way. That is a great ending, but it's not really how it goes. Um, What really happens is that 30 seconds later, approximately, Moses kills thousands of people for worshiping the golden calf. So this would have been a bit of a downer. I get it. That is the Game of Thrones ending here. Daenerys does free the slaves, but kills thousands of other people. Guess what, people? Moses did the exact same thing, except worse, because not only did he kill his enemies, but he also killed the people he freed. Who were being stupid. But he's a man, so it's fine. And (laughs) that is misogyny, and this is the hill I will die in. Yes, the hill is Mount Sinai. Daenerys forever. Listen, the the Exodus story has many problems with it, and one of them is the fickleness of the Jewish people itself, who, by the way, had been sitting in slavery waiting for their God to save them patiently. And And God, who had been apparently napping for all that time, was like, oh, yeah, I remember you guys. I got to take you out of here. And when being forced to leave their homes very quickly without time to to bake bread, which will allow us to transition into the lack of matzah in this film, they -hmm. are punished because they are tired and hungry. And the one guy's like, where's your God now? And they're like, yeah, why'd we leave? Where is our God now? Yeah. Okay. here's the thing. God's like, here's what you guys should do. You should borrow all the jewelry from your neighbors who are Egyptians, and then you're just going to walk out with it. And that's your reparations for what you went through. And that's exactly what happened. But you don't see that in the movie. And also, there is no matzah in this film. Where is the matzah? Hashtag there. justice for matzah. Where's the matzah? matzah? Is, is there matzah in the Ten Commandments? In the film, yes. There's, there's a, I don't remember. A, the, the, there's what appears to be a, a very quick... badly made uh, yeah. pita bread. Right. <laughs> like, there's a lot of random stuff in this movie. What's the most random thing that, that popped up to you? Like, what the heck is this and why is this here? Dan. You talk a little bit about the burning bush scene. And I always thought of it based on a few Torah study things I've done in Hebrew school and God knows what else I've done. Rabbi Allman, Rabbi looking Allman, at you. Um, that, that the symbol was there because it was something that no one but Moses would seem to pick up on. That Moses's character would be defined by being the only one who notices God calling out because he's got this crazy burning bush that is not being consumed by fire, yet continues to burn. And all these people walk by it, and Moses is like, what? burning bush. And so he hears God's voice rather than ignores it, yet here they tuck the burning bush away inside of a cave where no one but Moses could find it, which is a different definition of who Moses was as a person, as a leader. That to me was random. Uh, I'm sure there was a lot of other random things that I I probably did not pick up on, but that was a, a real departure from what I was seeing as Moses's, Moses's origin story. Interesting. Interesting. That's fun fact, though. Um, after he's told to take his shoes off because he's on holy ground, he doesn't wear sh- like he's, he's barefoot for the rest of the movie. Oh, interesting. Did not notice that. He's barefoot for the rest of the film. Thank you, IMDb trivia. Oh. Some sharp so, objects on the bottom uh, of the Red Sea. Yeah, I'm sure. I know. This has come up already, but the most random and unnecessary. It's two. I have a two parter. 
they're equally weird. There's the chariot race scene, which I get yes. is like them oh, driving God. cars, I guess. But like, it makes no logical sense and is fast incredibly and furious. Yeah, it's a fast Exodus. and furious scene. Like the turn he makes when the thing breaks at the end, impossible. But right? Not, Fine, not, it's a cartoon. Not a real turn. The the song that the two uh, that the uh, Steve Martin uh, playing with the big boys. <laughs> yeah, now. that song. Oh, that song and that whole sequence is so. Stupid and wasteful and unnecessary. You're playing with the big boys now. You're playing with the big boys now. You're playing with the big boys now. And they also bury the the main part of it, which is at the end, the snake, Moses's snake, consumes the other ones. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. They still have it, though, a little bit. But it's like, but it's like no one notices it. Also, like if you if you have Steve Martin and Martin Short, like give them more lines, give them jokes. Right. They barely got any jokes. They were not funny. They were absolutely yeah. not funny. Why? At any point. Why wasn't Steve Martin funny. like? Why didn't Steve Martin's character have a Egyptian-looking banjo? Like something. <laughs> <laughs> I think that some of their humor came from their facial expressions. You know, when Moses turns the the Nile to blood, and they have this red powder that they drop in water, and clearly it's red-colored water and not yeah, actual. It would blood. feel different, right? Yeah, uh, it even looked different. I, I don't know, just. By the power of raw, maybe there will be another yeah. film. <laughs> <laughs> that song sequence, By I was the like, they, they were required to put a song there, so they did. No one liked it. No one really cared about it, but it just kept going. But it was also, Jesse, I remember when we first met, you showed me this really fantastic, oh, I don't know, it was somewhere on YouTube where it was like, the the bad guy song and it's all the villains from mm-hmm. Disney films or no it's Scar it's Scar like or something and like, oh, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. do bad guy things yes <laughs> this, we'll do bad this guy things yeah playing with the big boys now or whatever the song is called is the villain song of Prince of Egypt and every animated musical needs to have some sort of villain song so prepare because I am the bad guy be prepared for me to do bad guy things. Like even Anastasia had one. Let it go. Let it go, for example. Every Disney film from this era has a great villain song. Jafar's got a good song. Scar's got a good song. Ursula's got a great song. Ursula, again, I feel the hero, the actual protagonist of that story, but we can get by that another time. (laughs) Tune in next time for the Jewish Little Mermaid. Yeah. Jews got a lot to say about the Little Mermaid. But again, this is a story that is not actually designed to be told to kids, that they're trying to tell in what they think is a kid's format. And most of the time, the movie takes that seriously, whether it succeeds or not. That playing with the big boys now is the one Disney moment I feel like they were going for, and it does not land. And it just like no, it set me off like the next twenty minutes. I couldn't, I couldn't get back into the story after that because it just. Really? Oh, I got it, over it, it, it very, very quickly. No, I just. I knew it was dumb, going. but I'm like, okay, I'm. Yeah, over it. I was. It it could have been forty five seconds shorter. By the power of raw. I think Ramses has this line that's repeated several times throughout the film where he kind of paints himself to be a sort of deity. He says, I am the morning and the evening star. Oh, yeah. You know, and so so that to me was a really interesting line. You know, he thinks that he has but that is beyond, you know, like beyond like royalty. Kind of Trumpy, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it did remind me of make our Egypt favorite... great again. <laughs> <laughs> it it did remind me of our favorite line or one of them from the Ten Commandments. So shall it be written. So shall it be done. So let it be written. So let it be done. I am Egypt, the morning and the evening star. A- again, James Hetfield coming into my head. Thank you. Can we get Jewish Boston mega hats? Make Egypt great <laughs> <Mega> hats. <laughs> okay, so some of us have seen multiple uh, Exodus, Passover-related movies. I'm looking at you, Jesse. Um, I haven't seen too many of them. I did watch that one with Christian Bale, which is... I haven't seen it. It's Now it's very vague in my memory. Yeah. Um, but what makes this film different from all other Passover films? Uh, Hans Zimmer did a beautiful job with the score, um, even though the only memorable song is Miracles and um, for me, playing with the big boys now. Um Boo. But the yeah. voice of Ofrahaza. Yeah, I mean it's it's stunning. It's like her. They her didn't voice. give her what to work with, but although um really interesting fact about her song is that it doesn't just span biblical things. It's actually used in a scene in American Psycho. 
So I thought that was, I, I think this Did is like, not know. Wow. I think that this is the only moment where um, anything that has some sort of biblical, like any sort of biblical movie uh, soundtrack is used in both biblical and a Bret Easton Ellis adaptation. The only, the only two other Passover films that I've seen, Ten Commandments and Rugrats Passover. So, you know, I don't really have that much to compare it with, but I thought that, you know, of all of them, this one stands out and I think is, you know, probably obviously the Ten Commandments is a classic, but I think in terms of, you know, I don't know. I, I just I feel like the Prince of Egypt is probably the best of the three, maybe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Eight, so eight point uh, eight yeah. out of ten. Commandments. Uh, as as the Exodus movie expert here. Yes, we, we defer to you. That, that that have not come up in our conversation. One is the Ben Kingsley TV miniseries from the <gasps> mid nineties. What? Yeah, oh yeah. Which is definitely the I would say I can't remember if it's the most accurate, but it's definitely the darkest in the sense that like it does not shy away from not only Moses's flaws but all the bad things that happen to everybody in this story. Again, there's also the Val Kilmer musical stage production. So there's also so the 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 Ten Commandments film that we all think about, the one from the, the mid-50s, was not that director's first time doing that story. He did a silent yes. film version of it in the 30s, which is super weird. Again, the, the miniseries isn't a musical, which is nice. Because again, e you either make this a great musical or you don't make it a musical. I'm talking to you, Val Kilmer, and the people in California in 2004, which again was based off the French musical Le Duc Commandement. My heart. Uh, or French <laughs> for the Ten Commandments. It's decent. The decent. No, listen, I like Just mispronouncing too. French um, because it. The wronger you say it, the house. more I like it. Yeah. As far as, yeah, as far as rating them, as far as like effectiveness at telling the story, this one is definitely one of the best. Do any of them do it well? Maybe. It depends on what you think is the point of the story. Box office. Before a mid 90s animated version of a biblical story, this does a pretty good job. Yes, it leaves stuff out, but it's, it could have also been longer. Like if they made this today, it would not have been an hour and a half ish. No, it would they have, been... would have punished children what? to three and a half hours. Oh yeah. No, if they made it today, I feel like it would be a ten episode HBO or Netflix yeah. very um R rated. Listen, and that would have been correct. Yeah, yes. it would like, actually be great. Make, that yeah, would be great. Like HBO, like use your Rome budget to make right. remake this story. Right. Uh, show us some butts. Show us some abs. Right. Yep. Show us some other things. Yeah. Yul Brenner. Show yep. us. Show us Yul Brenner. That's what I want to see. Thank you to Jesse, Ashley, and Dan for watching The Prince of Egypt with me and suffering and or enjoying it. Enjoying. Enjoying. I, I, I enjoy suffer. So <laughs> I enjoy hate watching things. So well, that's true. Both, and Rabbi. I do yeah. love criticizing them. So I do. <laughs> thank you to all of you out there for listening if you liked this episode be sure to rate and review the vibe of the tribe wherever you listen to pods stay safe wear a mask and don't forget to put blood on your lintel to keep away the angel of death Chag Pesach Sameach